heard this evening the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told. We've heard the account of Jesus' birth, Emmanuel, God with us. The miraculous account that you just heard stands really as the gateway to whether or not you're going to believe the gospel because it's central to the gospel message. In this story we just heard, we heard heard of uh, Jesus' virgin birth. We've heard the good news that this baby, this babe in the manger, was fully God and fully man, sent by the Father. Ultimately, we know from Scripture that he was sent by the Father to go to the cross and die for, die for the sins of those who would believe in him. Your response to this, the truth of this story really is, a, if you will, an accurate gauge to how you will respond ultimately to the gospel. This evening, I just want to spend a little bit of time, just, just a few minutes, Focus as we think about Christmas, as we think about the reason why we are even here this evening or why we celebrate Christmas at this time of year. I want to take a, a, a little time to focus on a few of the responses uh, in, the, in the account, some of which we just read. I would argue that these responses parallel our response to the gospel. In these, uh, this account, we see a great shock at the report. If you recall Mary's initial response to the angels, angel Gabriel's salutation in Luke one twenty eight and and twenty nine, it says he came to her and said, "Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you." You, but she was very perplexed. She was very perplexed at this statement, is what the text says. Put another way, she was shocked. And she was astounded that she would be greeted by this powerful angel. If you think about the world that we live in, the world that we inhabit, uh, we don't every day see those kind of things, do we not? I would even venture to say that most of us, if not all of us, have never seen anything, anything even close to this. The angel had to reassure her not to be afraid, for she had found favor with God. You see, Mary was a very godly young woman. She was completely in tune with the ways of God, and she lived like some of the Israelites at the time. She lived in the expectation of the Messiah. She lived expecting the the anointed one, yet she was shocked by this visit from the angel. As I said earlier, it's very doubtful that any of us will ever have anything to come near what Mary did. But I I would submit to you that shock may be our first response to the gospel. We have things worked out in our lives. I know that that's the way it was for me. I had things worked out in my own life. Then someone comes along and, and presents the gospel, which ultimately cuts against the grain of everything we believe. We hear that God is our creator and and that he's holy, that he is set apart from sin. We we come to see uh, through the gospel message, we come to see that he can't even look upon sin with favor. We find that he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
for the sinner, that's incredibly, that's incredibly scary if you think about it. We discover that our good works will never be good enough to make us right with Him. We learn that we have, through the gospel, we learn that we have sinned against Him, and therefore we face His wrath and His judgment. You see, when you come face to face with a holy God, everything you believe comes undone. And shock may be your first response. Shock may be your first response, like Mary was shocked when she saw this angel. We see other examples of that in Scripture. We, saw, we see in Isaiah 6, Isaiah seeing a vision of, of the, the temple with the Lord filling the temple, and he says, I am undone because I am a, a man of unclean lips. In Revelation, we see John and have a vision of, of the risen Lord. And he falls like a dead man. He falls like a dead man because of the shock of, of dealing with the holiness of God. This leads us to the second response that we see in this Christmas account. In great confusion at the repercussions. Uh, Luke tells us that in, in Luke 1, that after hearing the news that she would be with child, by the Holy Spirit, Mary went in a hurry to the only person who she believed might believe her. She went to her cousin, cousin Elizabeth. Now Mary was in Nazareth when she was visited by Gabriel, and Elizabeth was in a town in the hill country of Judah. Many times we can read quickly over such details. But I want you to think about that. Mary traveled, according to Scripture, according to Luke 1, 39 through 40, Mary traveled a hundred and a hundred miles to from Nazareth to the to Judah, which was a three to four day journey to the south. Now we don't know exactly how she made that trek, but whether on foot or with a caravan, we we don't even know much about her state of mind as she made this trip. We can only imagine the emotions that she must have endured as she thought about the repercussions of this news that she was. Uh, going to be preg impregnated, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. Thankful for the faith that she displayed in facing this uncertain future, at least uncertain from a human perspective. Just think of Joseph for a moment. So Joseph, when he heard that Mary was with child, a, a child that was not his physical offspring, he struggled with what to do. Matthew 1 tells us that Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the one who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The question, I mean, you see this in Joseph and Mary's life. The, the struggle, the shock, what do I do with this information? What do I do with what God is doing in my life? But I want you to consider for a moment, what about your response to the gospel? What about your response after the initial shock wore off, or after it wears off, the repercussion, the implications of following Christ are great and reverberate throughout your life? If you believe the gospel, it affects everything in your world. Your family, your work, how you live, how you see the world, nothing 
absolutely nothing is left unaffected. Uh, Angie and I were just talking about this on the way here. What would life be if we didn't go to church? We, don't, we can't imagine life without... We, we, we said, well, well, I guess we'd watch a lot... She said this. I guess we would watch a lot more television. And she said, she said, I guess I would probably bake a lot less. But nothing is left unaffected. When you first heard the gospel, did you think of the repercussions and wonder how your life might change if you believed it? I remember before I heard the gospel, I knew some things about God, about God and Jesus, but I was, I was, really, un- I was really afraid to even speak of them. I was afraid because I had no conviction. But after I heard the gospel and after I believed the gospel, I knew that there was nothing I could do. I couldn't live in hiding. I understood that I couldn't hide the lamp under a basket. I think Jesus says that. I knew that believing the gospel changed everything. It changed everything. I tried to keep it from changing everything. I did my best. But ultimately, I was undone. The news that Mary was pregnant with with the Savior by the Holy Spirit changed everything for Joseph and Mary. The news that the angel announced to the shepherds changes everything for all who hear it. Luke 2.11 For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I know among all the profound statements of the Bible, I can't think of one that's more profound than that. Beloved, our sin separates us from our Creator, from our Maker. You and I face judgment outside of God's intervention on our behalf. Yet, God in His kindness has sent a Savior, His only begotten Son. As, as John puts it, Jesus Christ is the righteous one who is the, uh, the only atoning sacrifice for our sin. He, puts that, he says that in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He says Jesus is the righteous one. And he himself is, he uses the word propitiation. You could substitute that with atoning sacrifice. He, he has satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf if we would only believe. But believe me, it changes everything. It changes everything. In a good way. In a good way. This brings us to the third response we see in this account of the Lord's birth, great joy at the recognition. The account of the shepherds provides an example of that response. What did they do after they visited Jesus? I think we just read it. The Bible says they went back and they glorified and and praised God for all that they had seen and all that they had been told. Beloved, the, the, the overarching joy always comes over the heart of the person who recognizes the works of God for what they are. This includes the work of God in your heart. When you realize what He has done for you, uh, but that it's something that you could have never done for yourself. The guilt that you have for your sin uh, could, never, could never be satisfied. You know that, or if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you know that. God has reconciled you to Himself through the sacrificial death of His Son if you know Him and if you believe. 
This time of year we celebrate Christmas because what we're celebrating is the joy of the birth of our Savior. Of our Savior. But we can't stop at His birth. His birth doesn't atone for sin without His perfect life. His perfect life does not atone for sin without His death on the cross. His sin-atoning death means nothing without His conquering the grave and being raised and seated at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. You see, the Christian finds great joy at the recognition of all that Christ has accomplished, of every act He accomplished in redeeming us from our sin. Leads us to a fourth response. Great obedience at the realization. You see, Joseph, he agonized. We didn't read this tonight, but you read the account. Joseph agonized over how to handle Mary when he found out that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. But he, he did not struggle with how to respond once he heard the truth. In Matthew one twenty four and 25, it says, Joseph got up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did exactly as he was told. He was perfectly, or he was obedient to what he was told to do. Beloved, the the Christian may not be perfect, but we'll always want to live a life of obedience to, to God. The Christian life is a life of obedience. Upon realization that Christ is our Creator and Lord, He's our Sovereign, we Uh, trust Him, and we obey Him from the heart. There's an old hymn we sing. I know most of you have heard it, if not all of you. It goes like this. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. See that response to the gospel should be one of great obedience at the realization of what Christ has done. Unfortunately, there's a fifth, a fifth all-too-common response, and that's rejection. That's rejection. Beloved, not everyone will believe. I'm persuaded that some of you may not believe. We, saw it, we see an example of this in the account of Jesus' birth. We didn't, I don't think we read it, but you may remember a man named Herod. What did he do upon hearing of the birth of the child? Well, he wanted to know where the child was, and he said it was so he could worship him. But that wasn't true. He was scared that Jesus, the true king, would come and take his power and his authority from him, which had been delegated actually from the Roman Empire. You see, Herod was a usurper. He came to power by heinous and shameful means. He didn't didn't want to yield the throne to King Jesus. So when Jesus was born, Herod had all the children, all the male children in that area from two years and under, he had them murdered. You see, Herod utterly rejected Christ and was willing to murder him, murder 
the children in order to thwart him. I hear tonight, if you're here tonight, not everyone will obviously reject Christ by murdering dozens of children. But here's the, the truth. Here's the truth. If you've rejected Jesus, you're no different than Herod. If you continue to reject Him, you will suffer the same eternal fate in hell, suffering from the wrath of God. My prayer for those of you tonight that haven't turned to Christ as your Lord and Savior, haven't believed in His life, death, resurrection, my prayer is that you would turn to Him. I pray that you'll come to see Jesus as the Savior who was born to die. He was born to die on a cross. He was born to take the wrath of the Father upon Himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, He lived His life in perfect obedience to the Father. A life that you or I could never have lived. And if we believe in Him, if you believe in Him, even tonight, you will be clothed in His righteousness. You'll see this a little bit tomorrow if you're here. I love Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's proclamation in Isaiah 61.10. He says this, I will rejoice greatly in Yahweh. My soul will rejoice in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You see, we, we, uh, that's a wonderful picture of what happens at salvation. When a, when a sinner recognizes that he cannot he or she cannot achieve their own righteousness by their own self-righteous works. They, they repent and they call out to God for mercy. And the Lord covers them, covers them with His own divine righteousness by grace through faith. His righteous robe for my unrighteousness. A wonderful truth. It's captured by the following words from the hymn, His Robes for Mine. His robes for mine, oh wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in His righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place He died. His robes for mine, what cause have I for dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works not mine. Faultless I stand with, well, saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. Then it says this. This is the chorus. I love this. Chorus. I cling to Christ and I marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, estranged from God. Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. My prayer is tonight that that would be your song. 
that you would understand and you would live understanding this incredible exchange that you are now, if you are in Him, draped in His righteousness. You are now, because of what He has done, you are now justified. I love the line, in Christ I live, for in my place He died. For what He did, for what He accomplished, I can now stand justified before a holy God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, I think of sending your Son, the perfect Lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, that you would send Him to the cross, that you would pour out your wrath upon Him. Lord, if only we believe. If we believe, by grace we have been saved through faith. Father, that we would be wrapped in that robe of righteousness. Not a righteousness of our own, but His righteousness. Father, I pray that each and every person here tonight will see and understand this is the greatest story ever told. Oh, but it's not a story. In the sense of a story, it's truth, absolute truth, and may we believe and may we live eternally with you because of what he has done and what he has accomplished. In Christ's name, amen.